0: The show you're about to hear is a member of the Planes Talkers Podcast Network. To find out more, go to planestalkerspodcast.com.
1: Plenty of decks don't get to draw three cards for one mana. Well, I mean, all the good ones do. Hide in your basement and play on your computer. <laughs> That's been my dream for years, and I'm finally getting to do it. <laughs> These things are freaking rare. And, yeah. like, the, like, which is good because, perfectly honest, I think they're ugly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Hi, I'm Jake. And I'm Matt. And we are Cantrip Cartel. We're proud members of the Planes Talkers Podcasting Network, and we're here to talk magic. Matt, how are you doing today?
1: Oh, pretty good. Typical Tuesday. You had the day off, spent it playing video games, still on uh, Final Fantasy XI. It's the American dream. Take a day off of work, hide in your basement, and play on your computer. (laughs) That's been my dream for years, and I'm finally (laughs) getting to do it. So I was playing Final Fantasy XI, and then there was actually some... I had mentioned a few weeks ago I played Gloomhaven online. There were a couple issues with the game where I talked about like advantage and like buffing your characters and how they, those weren't perfectly lined up with the board game. Well, they they actually just patched that. So like nice. So I Gloomhaven got a little bit better. I'm having a blast playing Final Fantasy 11, leveling a red mage for anybody who's listening still. Still working on gearing that out, and I've also started tinkering out around with Geomancer, which is a support class and can do some incredibly powerful things in the game. It's a support class. It buffs your your party, and it can do some very strong status effects to enemies, and it does it in, like, an AoE around itself. So, like, you stand somewhere, and everyone in that circle just gets buffed or debuffed, and... If you get a couple of them you can do some stupid broken stuff is
0: right? it better than the wizard just killing everyone on the map every other turn well
1: this is 11 but one of the things people do a lot is they'll get two geomancers and a samurai can just literally just solo things because it they will they'll just debuff its magic defense and it'll use a couple weapon skills and do a skill chain and that skill chain will literally max damage for the game and <laughs>
0: <laughs> so is, is- is max damage a number, or is it just nine 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 nine?
1: It's five nines. It's, it's one yeah. one less than a hundred thousand, and so it's just like weapon skill, weapon skill, max damage, dead. Next enemy, weapon skill, <laughs> weapon skill. <max>. So
0: <laughs> that's pretty funny. So that's
1: that's the class I started to, to mess around with today. Gotcha. So how long? Is, what's the what's the lag time between
0: starting to mess with a class and having it ready to like go pwn the game?
1: Um, it really depends. So the one of the good things about Final Fantasy XI is there's a ton of different tiers of content. I mostly play solo. One of the reasons I want to play Geomancer is it's very group friendly. So a weak Geomancer is still a Geomancer mm-hmm. and can still do things that no other class can do. So gotcha. it has value.
0: Does it make it easier to like party up with people? Correct. They're, they're, they're happy to have you in their squad. Yep.
1: Even if you're not, you don't have the best in slot gear, you're still doing something because the, the fact of the matter is most people want to be the guy carrying a big sword, right? And swinging it or casting major spells. Yep. I've raised my hand. Most people don't want to spend their time Just sitting around like buffing or debuffing, just doing utility type of stuff. It's
0: being a healer. Being a healer isn't necessarily that fun. There's there's no glamour in dropping heal spells.
1: Correct, and this is even less glamorous because with healers, you get that active like you get those moments of oh no, the tank's about to die. Like we just took a big attack, and I can I can really flex. This is I'm gonna use these couple abilities. They're just really powerful, but it's not super exciting. Mm -hmm. So if you're willing to be the person who does that. Then you don't necessarily have to have the best gear in the game in order to get a spot in a party. That gotcha. being said, a well-geared Geomancer is probably the individually most like single most sought after class. Gotcha. Uh the, the way the game works is they have like relic weapons and whatnot, and they're very, very hard to get. Like if I sat down and started to get one today, it'd be probably three to six months before I finished it. Jesus. For one piece of gear. But they're class defining. Hmm. So like this one makes the buffs. So they work on percentages, right? So if you put a buff up. It'll be or a debuff, let's say this debuff will be like that any enemy in this range, its magic defense is reduced by 20%. This individual weapon alone almost doubles that. Well then. <laughs> and that's how that works is earlier when I was talking about with the two geos and a samurai, you have two geos with those weapons, and they basically reduce the magic defense of an enemy to near zero. Mm-hmm. And then they take full damage from these attacks and it just wrecks them. Geo's just it's super cool. It's a it's got a lot of moving parts to it and a lot of cool stuff so one of those things I can deep dive on
0: I mean it makes sense too to pick up and get into a heavily in demand character yeah with a, with a game that cooperation and co-op play is such a big deal yep. being able to party up easier is a big deal I remember when you used to play Overwatch similar but different but like you have wait times for DPS of like five to eight minutes because everybody wants a DPS, but you could hop into play tank and you could play a match and like 30 seconds is a queue time. Yep. And so I just, you get really good. I'm a really good tank and a really good healer, not a very good DPS. Cause I would rather play 10 games as a tank than three games as a DPS.
1: Yep. And this is the same way. Um, so like if you're a group, you've got maybe three DPS, right? That you want you, you have a party of six, you need probably a tank, a healer, a support, and then three people dealing damage. There's, Eighty percent of the players want to deal damage, and they, you're, they're fighting for those spots. If you have your pick of the litter, you're going to pick the guy with the best gear. Like, there's no reason for you to pick a poorly geared DPS because there's a perfectly geared DPS right beside him, right? Mm -hmm. So it makes it very hard to get into groups as a DPS because they want to know, like, you need to have your basically. If you want a group at high end in Final Fantasy XI as a DPS, you have to have your relic weapon, whatever, whichever one that is. You have to have it. Like, you'll hear shouts for it, and it'll be like. Rima Bard or Rima Samurai only.
0: Yep, because because enough people have have been have been playing this game long enough that you just can't compete with a with a, a lobby full of DPS maxed right. out.
1: Correct. So, so. Well, whereas Geomancer, because so few people want to spend their time casting buffs, has it's you know it kind of gets one foot in the door. Yeah, just by the nature of its class. Yep. So
0: it's cool. It's like it's like looking for a healer. I mean, like yep. you'll. You, you people will follow themselves trying to offer to DPS for you, and then you're sitting there being like, Well, if we can get a healer in the next 10 minutes, we'll be able to run this dungeon.
1: Yep. So I've been, like I said, I play mostly solo. So Geomancer is going to be one of the kind of how I like dip my toe into group content, I think.
0: Don't do it. Just keep playing solo. Games get way better but, when you're by
1: yourself. <laughs> well, the nice thing is, while every online community has its toxic people, and Final Fantasy 11's no exception, it's sort of like Legacy at this point where. You have to really be into the game yeah. in <laughs> order to be paying a, playing a 20-year-old MMO that has probably, I mean, the level of dedication it takes to have a max-level character makes modern MMOs look like a joke. I mean, like I said, one weapon will take you six months.
0: The amount of dedication you need to play a 20-year-old game that costs you 15 bucks a month to play.
1: Right. But, like, I mean, a perf- so one of the things that uh, I personally don't do it, but I kind of track it as a means of tracking inflation, is how much you can buy... Uh, gill, the currency for. So if you wanted to put together one of these weapons and you just straight up bought the gill, and there's other requirements too. So you probably have 20 or 30 hours worth of grinding you can't skip yep. plus another $500 worth of gill you'd need to buy. That's how much you'd need to farm to get one of these weapons. Gotcha. Like they, It's a huge commitment of it time is. and resources and most of the people that play anymore are on that level of commitment and they're not really assholes. They're, they yeah. still are. But, like, most of the people it are weed, really welcoming it, because they just want people to play with. It weeds out the, the punk it kids. It keeps out the riffraff. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically yeah. what it boils it's down not a, to. It's
0: not a Call of Duty lobby.
1: Correct. It's You have to be really serious about the game. Now, the flip side of that is they expect you to do your job.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have high expectations. <laughs> they,
1: and they're, they're, I don't want... Not that I think you know, anybody's going to run out and play Final Fantasy XI on my recommendation, but there are stepping stones like if Mm -hmm. you get in a group a guild they're called link shells but if you get in a guild you can find a guild that will walk you through in game and help you gear up like it's not like you can't group but if you're expecting to just hop on and just do the highest level content you're you're not even people are just going to kick you when they check your gear and they can they can look at your gear yeah any player can examine another player's gear so yeah it's fun i've been having a blast um i love it i'm glad how you been doing Been doing good the uh there's been some movement in the tra- in the chess
0: game, so I haven't talked about it very much for a couple of weeks. So I haven't been pounding it as hard. I, st- I watch some videos regularly. I uh, I do some puzzles here and there, but I haven't really been like pushing on it really hard. I made some friends. I, I reconnected with an old friend of mine through Battlefield. It was-, it was Dustin who I met up with through Battlefield. from
1: Which you've already abandoned,
0: correct? Which we've already abandoned, <laughs> yep. Uh, it's getting better. I-, I watched the updates on it. There's been tons of updates in Battlefield, and it's getting better. But he ended up finding a game called Super People, which is essentially Apex mixed with PUBG, maybe with a little extra PUBG thrown on top. Mm-hmm. And he's he just he's a fucking PUBG fanboy. He lo- he's got hundreds of hours in PUBG, and so he was like, "Hey, it's on a free beta until the end of the month. Download it. And we'll play together. That thing that you do a lot. Except when we start playing, you quit playing and leave me alone on the game. Except he didn't. Sure." <laughs> It's happened a few times. it doesn't happen that much, but it's happened a couple of times. You got me on a game, yep, I said sure, <laughs> but so he had a couple of friends, so we would we would stack up and and I've now played many hours with these people, and one of them they or I should say one of them two of them play chess on regularly and since we started talking about it, we started talking about like oh, I like Gotham chess. he's the youtuber I watch and stuff and so he's like hey we'll let's start playing for funsies and we start we started playing like we Started playing five-day games, where I'm used to playing like 10-minute games or 20-minute games, which obviously are a lot harder than a five-day game. The idea yeah, being that we both have five days on our clock, and so you just kind of play it whenever you have time. You you know, you, If you forget about it for two days, it's fine. The game isn't going to end.
1: People used to play chess uh, by correspondence, like through the mail. You just, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to make one move write down the move, mail it to my buddy yep. across the country. He's got the same game board. He's going to move for yep. me and then you really know. back
0: before the yeah. internet was a thing. And yep. that's what we're doing now. We're just, you know, I don't know where this person lives, but we just get to play the, this fun game around each other's schedule across the country. And it's a lot more fun getting to like really dive deep into the moves. You know, we're not using engines. We're not cheating. But so I had, I had a lot of fun doing that. And I, if you remember when I first talked about playing chess and trying to learn and learn openings and learn middle games and learning how to close games, I was like I really like to get like in the 1000ish area like to 1 to 1100 and that's based on the games that I see uh, um Gotham Chess review. He does a lot he does a, a cool series called Guess the Elo. Elo is the name of your ranking yep. on chess.com or maybe in chess in total. I don't know shit about chess. <laughs> I'm learning. But your Elo is your is your global ranking essentially. And I um and he would do a game where he he would or he would do a a series where he watches a game and then he tries to guess what ranking these people are. So he'll watch them play and and like making fun of their silly moves, their mistakes and be like, well, this seems like a like a twelve hundred ish level player. Yeah. And so based on like what I was seeing from like eight hundreds and twelve hundreds and sixteen hundreds, I'll probably never be a sixteen hundred or an eighteen hundred or even a fifteen hundred takes a lot of work and I don't have time to commit to that. But I was like, if I could ever break the one thousand ish, that'd be pretty cool. I think like, you got to have you're a
1: respectable chess player. Yeah, for a normie, you're like,
0: you're definitely above the normal riffraff once yeah. you're playing in the one thousand to to twelve hundred or fourteen hundred range. And I, you know, fourteen hundred is I, I thirteen to fourteen is probably like the like the big jump where it's like that person is good at chess. Well, yeah, and
1: each I imagine it's the same thing with every rating. The higher you go, it's more difficult for, to get from a thousand to eleven 1, hundred than yes. it is to get from nine hundred to a thousand.
0: So I play a lot of chess online, but I play mostly against computers because I still like playing against people. I like playing at my own speed. Um, And so I was ranked like 900 ish after playing a few games with uh, my friend who was ranked like 1250. I'm now sitting at like 1200. And so that's probably that might be where I kind of settle in is between like honestly probably between like 11 and 1200 is where I'm supposed to be. And I've had a couple lucky streaks winning against him. But that was a really like cool feeling um over the last week to play a couple games with him actually have like some really good exchanges go my way where i planned some stuff out and it worked and then got myself into a couple pickles and had to think my way out and was able to and which is always kind of like a little confidence boost you know when you're when you're doing something but you're not really sure you're good at it yet until you yeah. get tested and i got tested and was found good enough yeah so.
1: well and that's you had said the word and i know exactly what you mean but that's one of my things i've always loved about chess is there isn't luck Mm-hmm. You're either white or black. That's there's a coin flip involved, yep. and there's mistakes. Play. There's mistakes. There's no lucky draws, and there's compounding mistakes. Yep. And but there's no like, ah.
0: Oh,
1: uh huh. He he. My opponent Ancestral. just hit runner, 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 and now I'm dead. Yep. And that's
0: like the last game we were playing. It was a lot of back and forth, and I was the white. And I'm actually much worse white than I am black. Mm-hmm. I know a couple of black uh, openings. I don't really know any white openings really well because you know it's hard to Google them and learn when you're lazy. So I I, playing as the white as the game was going into move like 10 and 12 and 15, like nothing, no no exchanges had happened, nothing had happened. But just looking at the board, I'm like, he's taking a lot more space than me. He's setting up attacks. I can see where he's moving and I'm just kind of turtling up Mm -hmm. and i was was starting to get really worried. Like, I don't know if this is going to work out for me because when these attacks come to fruition and he starts really putting the pressure on, I don't know if I'll be able to fend him off. And he basically made one mistake. That's all it takes. uh, Yep. That allowed me to essentially take a knight and fork uh, his king and a rook. And so turn my bishop into a, trade it for a knight and a rook. And yeah, that gave me a a decent point lead that I was able to ride to victory.
1: I know just enough about chess to like, I know what you're talking about. I, my elo is zero. I, I've never played a competitive game of chess in my life. I played it as a kid. I've, do you know how the pieces move? Yeah, I know how yep. I know how all the pieces move. I know the basic strategy of developing your pieces, planning attacks, covering pieces, controlling the center, like that kind of stuff, like mm-hmm. basic tactics and whatnot. but I've never played a competitive game in my life. It's something I've like always wanted to dabble in, but just never did because mm-hmm. there's a lot of like chess is something if you can get good at chess, you can take those principles and apply them to other parts of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's mainly why I would do it. It's, it's the game itself isn't terribly interesting to me because I do like, well, it's fun to like never lose to bad luck. It's also not as fun to never draw the top deck you need.
0: Well, you know, for a fact, the end of the game is like, I just got beat. Correct. And I played poorly. Like
1: if you play against the, like if I was to play against you, you would probably beat me game after game after game. Probably. And probably for the next 20 games. Yep. Until I start to like figure it out. Yep. Whereas if we play 20 games of magic, even if I was a relative beginner, if we're playing with relatively even decks, I'm going to have a shot at winning some games.
0: There's a chance I just draw four lands in a row.
1: And that's like, I don't have currently the time to be like that super competitive where I'm just going to be like, yeah, well, chess is what I'm doing for the next. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do that for eight hours a day, every day until I'm good at it. Yep. So now
0: clearly I haven't done that. But what I have done is I have spent the last probably three, three months, three, four months Casually consuming chess content and playing some and you know, looking at openings, watching how to videos. Um, I do, I do learn a lot just by watching chess be played. And, yep. um, listen, now I lit what what's perfect about watching Gotham Chess is I get to watch, uh, he's not a grandmaster, he's an international master, but he's almost a grandmaster. Watch almost a grandmaster evaluate low level play a lot because mm-hmm. most of what he evaluates is the 800 to 1400. Because shockingly, that's where the vast majority of his audience rests. Yep. So that's he makes content for them. So getting to watch a professional critique a beginner's chess games, I I learn a lot from yeah, you that. You can
1: get huge amounts of improvement.
0: Yes, I I look at the decisions he that you know, a player makes versus what he recommends and how to and how to transition board states and what he tells you to do. And he's speaking about the kinds of games I'm playing. So I've learned a lot from him. And it isn't like I've, you know, I didn't just start playing I I've only played like, let's say, 10 games of chess, but I have I've spent months learning and practicing yeah. chess doing my homework essentially yeah and i've kind of settled into this nice like probably like i said probably 11 to 1200s where i should probably rest right yeah. now
1: i have a m- longer learning curve for most things so like i'll typically get better than a lot of people at stuff but it takes me much longer to get to mediocre or mm-hmm. even what i would consider good so like i just don't have the time to do another thing yeah <laughs> it's one of the things like there's probably a shit ton of people who've would have, they've always wished they got good at chess. Mm-hmm. Like if you're like a gamer, if you, especially, you know, I like board games and whatnot. Yeah. Chess is just one of those games. That, well, chess is kind of the game.
0: Yeah. Like it's one of like, like chess is like <clears throat> one of the original games people think of when you're like, oh, I want to play a skill, a skill testing game. Because yep. magic is a skill testing game, but people don't think of magic. They think of chess.
1: Well, chess is also basically free.
0: Yeah. It costs 20 bucks for a board.
1: You could play chess with paper.
0: Yep, you can. I mean, uh, in <laughs> fairness, you can go to chess.com and you can make a free account. You can play chess with random people all day long forever. Yep. So it's... There's
1: almost a zero bar- barrier to zero entry. Zero barrier
0: to entry. And it's... There's also... There's no cap. Like, you'll you'll never be perfect at chess. You just... You'll, you're as good as you want to be. Yep. Well, now that we've done about 20 minutes on Not Magic...
1: Sounds about right. <laughs> Before we get started this
0: week, I do want to give a shout out to our mothership show, the Planes Talkers podcast. Will and Aramis uh, record a Standard and Commander-based podcast every Monday around 7 p.m. Eastern Standard at twitch.tv forward slash Planes Talkers podcast. I always recommend everyone that's looking for a little more magic content in their life, check them out. They do a really good job of putting together a really nice show. It sounds good. It looks good. And they have a great rapport, kind of like me and Matt. They're good friends and they have a lot of fun just talking about magic. If you ever like watching any Commander product, they do Commander Craft on Wednesdays at the same Twitch, and you can even play with them if you join their Discord, discord discord.planestalkerspodcast.com, where they'll take basically on like Monday and Tuesday, they'll kind of ask for volunteers every week, and you can play Commander with them over webcam on Spelltable. And it's a lot of fun. Matt and I have both done it. It's actually really easy to play. It's not as good as playing in paper but it is playing some fun commander and we, I, it's really fun. And I recommend everyone that wants to check it out. And while you're on the discord, you actually come check out our cantrip cartel page.
1: Yeah. I had a great time yep. when we played a couple weeks ago. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, We
0: had like a, a host only where uh, we both, we all got together on like Thanksgiving and played. And I think you won one. And I think Aramis won one. So yep. we'll have to get to together, have together kick again. Kick off to, with elves. Mm. Yep. We'll have to get back together and see if I can bring one home and then maybe will can, and we'll have a perfect balance.
1: Yeah. But, at no point in time. Am I not. Willing and able to represent for Elves in almost any format. Yeah. They're legal. Yeah. Modern. <laughs> legacy. pauper. Mo- hey, you want to play EDH? Sure do. Yep. I got this green deck. <laughs>
0: yep. Little green Elves. All right. Other than that, Matt, is there anything you want to talk about before we hop into it? No, I think we're good to go. All righty, Matt. How is Legacy looking?
1: So, over the weekend, we had a pretty big tournament. Uh, it was the Mox Showcase Qualifier event. 24 people are invited. Winner gets a Pro Tour uh invitation and a lot of prestige too yes i mean this is you're playing with some of the best like legacy players in the world when you're playing yeah. in it. so yeah, the,
0: the mox is a um a very well respected tournament to to one qualify for and to two do well in
1: yeah just to qualify for it is a big deal yes and then to do well in it i mean i it would be the achievement of my lifetime to go oh and three in this yep just getting my foot in the yeah. door would be big, good enough.
0: People think MTGO leagues are tough competition, and they are. The Mox is like the top echelon of the top echelon of MTGO.
1: Yeah. So first thing we always do, and this is, again, even bigger deal this time, uh, Canister brought it home with Black Red Reanimator. Yep. We don't have deck lists. Yes. So this week we don't
0: have uh, nearly as much information as usual. Right. This information does not get supplied to, I think, anything. So like we use MTG Goldfish every week to give you deck lists and give you percentages. We don't have that, so we're gonna have to go through and kind of just we'll we'll pull what information we have. We're basically looking at a Reddit post with the with the contestants and their decks, and you know we'll we'll be able to draw some kind of overarching ideas from this, but we're not gonna be able to give you the as in depth as we uh, normally do.
1: Yeah, and and we can I mean we can make some assumptions here Mm -hmm. just from looking at the lists and whatnot. But uh, so bringing it home, canister, black red reanimator. Uh, in second place, we've got... Uh, Misspelled Dahlia. Misspelled Dahlia. He, uh This this player is in the top eight. He, yep. this, is a, this is a
0: very, very popular grinder. With
1: a Blue-Red Delver. And in third place, we've got uh, Binu, Blue-Red Delver. And then in fourth place, we've got Julian yep. playing elves. Good job, Julian. I don't know if you listen to this podcast anymore, but... We were both really happy to see your for Twitter you. post. I'm super excited that you did so well. On that note, though, as far as the Pro Tour invite goes... So they give out one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The first, uh, the guy who got first and second, both were, they're in the MPL. They're already going.
0: Yep. So they so bumped they gave it, it down. So
1: they bumped it down to the third place winner. He got a Pro Tour invite and Julian missed his invite to the Pro Tour by, yep. uh, from what he said, tiebreakers on his Twitter post. It was yeah. basically tiebreakers.
0: That's pretty rough. So, so that was a really, really uh, impressive showing. Like we, yes. like we said, even to get to go to the mocks is crazy impressive. To do this well is crazy.
1: Correct. So couldn't be more, couldn't be happier for him. The only way I could be happier for him is if he, you know, if he got that pro tour. I would love to see him in a pro tour. That would have been amazing. Mm -hmm. In fifth place, we've got another uh, black red reanimator list. In sixth, we've got blue red delver. In seventh, we've got red prison. (laughs) And in eighth, we've got blue red delver. And then in ninth, we've got blue red saga. And again, the only reason I went to ninth is just to kind of drive that point home. Half of the top eight is blue red saga. Or blue red Delver. Sorry, we talk about the metagame every week. Mm-hmm. I don't really know how much there is to say about it that we haven't said. When half the top eight is effectively one deck. Yep. So we saw that last and,
0: week. Um, to jump last <laughs> week we saw in our top eight we had eight blue red Delver decks. Or sorry, we had half of the top eight. Four blue red Delver decks in the top eight, and we actually had a fifth in the top ten. Yeah. The 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 meta seemed to be pretty inbred. At least when you're looking at the top players playing the top decks. You look at uh the five zero lists every week. And those lists kind of look diverse. You see a lot of really cool five zero lists. Leagues are much lower stake, and so people are doing a lot more jank and a lot more fun in leagues. Mm-hmm. But when you get into these, you even to the high the high stakes tournament of a challenge, you start to narrow down into a much more fixated metagame. And then you bring it to the mocks, which is just two tiers above that, and it just boils down to much deeper to a much more refined metagame. Yeah. Uh, case in point, did you remember what Julian said on his post on like like his prep for the tournament? Yeah. He- Was
1: he? Go ahead. Well, what he said is he prepped to beat Blue Red Delver and Black Red Reanimator. Yep. That's what his deck... He he said he built it... I, he <clears throat> built it with beating those decks yep. in mind.
0: I built my list with almost singular focus on Blue Red Delver and Black Red Reanimator, which, what, put in six of the top eight?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Him seventh was him, yep. and eighth would be the Red Prison deck. Yeah.
0: Um, I do actually have Julian's list. It's one of the very few lists we have access to. And so, um, one, Julian's our guy. We both love Julian and his content. And it's also, I think, the only list I we have access to at the moment. Matt may find another one, but we'll go through this just for fun. So, a top-tier Elves deck built to beat Blue-Red Delver.
1: Yeah, so looking at the list, kind of stuff we want to talk about would be the highlight cards. Endurance and Scavenging Ooze in the main. Mm-hmm. Endurance obviously has some splash damage against Delver, but that, to yeah. me, you want Graveyard Hate in the main. That's searchable. Yeah. Again, Endurance I mean, is good against both.
0: Scavenging Ooze is is... Not crazy uncommon to see in the main. I've seen Scooges in the main it of Els anymore. Decks.
1: It's atypical anymore.
0: Oh, okay. I must like, be a little behind the curve then, because I I remember seeing Scooges in main decks, but it, Endurances. Well, I used to run it all the time. Endurances. I'm not used to seeing those in the main. Those are usually pretty solidly in the side.
1: Yep. Uh, he's got the uh white splash for Archon. Hmm. That makes perfect sense there. And then his sideboard is 100% what he's talking about. So you got four Thought seizes, three more Endurance, which is just a a great card yep. against both those two. To bring the full four of in. You got the Assassin's Trophies, which are pretty, those are pretty typical, just yep. to kind of catch all. Force of Vigor, Collector Oath, and then two Carpet of Flowers. Yeah,
0: the Carpet of Flowers are going to be, the, again, That's your delver pickups for Delver. Yeah. And then in the main, just to jump back a little bit, this is a Reclaimer list, not a Nettle Sentinel. Which, not...
1: that is pretty atypical for Julene as yeah, well.
0: To, to bump in, again, weaken the Glimpse Turns to power up the Inevitability. Which makes sense if you are looking to play against the tempo deck where you're gonna have to sacrifice your speed just to stop them. Yep. And force through. Yeah. They're I guess. I'm guessing. I'm not gonna speak for Julian.
1: Well, yeah. And I mean, if you look at his list, he, yes, he's got reclaimers and he's got one Bajuka Bong, but he doesn't even have the typical like there'll be, you know, when you have reclaimer, you usually have a couple sideboard cards like Caracas or yep. you know, whatever. More 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 searching. To lands. Utilize your reclaimer. He just really wants to be able to either hit Guy's Cradle or Bejeweled? Yep, <laughs> that's what you're reclaiming for. But this is the cool thing with Reclaimer, though it is frequently a three-four, yep. which is actually a very good card against Delver. Yeah, we've, we've talked I about. I mean, it. that shit's all over Ragavan.
0: El- and Elves is a good grindy deck. Yep. Like if the the combo plan is a solid plan A, but plan B is also just outvalue your opponent with a couple turns where you draw four or five cards. Play a bunch of three fours and expendable one ones that draw. Maybe draw more. Maybe start drawing extra cards with uh, Elwish Visionary and yep. just beat face over the course of five six turns. Absolutely, especially so. with especially with Grist coming, Grist and Endurance coming in just to have more top end. Another three four with Reach and Grist to just pump out insects,
1: mm-hmm.
0: pump out insects and remove any problem. Like, I mean, how how safe do you feel when you know, your Blue at Dover starts going through his graveyard? It's like cool. Cast Tide. My turn. Yeah, I'm gonna remove two yeah. loyalty and kill that.
1: Correct. I have main deck answers for that. Uh-huh. I've got grindy value. He's searchable with a, uh, or he's fetchable with Green Sun Zenith. Yep. So just having the one of there is great. I love Grist. He's an excellent addition to Legacy, in my opinion. He's so, to me, he's perfect. He's the perfectly designed Planeswalker. Like hmm. not to say that like there he's the best one or, ever, but as far as design goes, yeah. Just having him as a one of, he's not. He does some utility stuff. He doesn't typically speaking take over a game. I he's, tell you,
0: it's not fun to play against him. I will tell you what. When you start, even even though they're just one ones, but just cranking out a one one a turn, yep. is it feels debilitating some well, sometimes can,
1: in certain matchups. It can be, and yep. especially against. Uh, typically speaking, you play control decks. So when you're playing a control deck, you don't have a just a ton of answers for planeswalkers i don't so not only is it a planeswalker so it's difficult for you to answer it's making threats yep so it's it's a planeswalker that's actively putting pressure on you and that's why
0: chris my plan is to answer cards one on one or one for one and this one card is making two three four five more cards that i have to deal with
1: and just sitting there like you get a couple insects out and then you're like well now i can't commit any creatures to the board because all he's going to do is sacrifice an insect and kill Yeah.
0: yeah he's gonna he's gonna spend no cards to kill my creature
1: correct and still have his grist sitting around. So
0: it's really interesting to see Julian basically draw the line in the sand and say endurance is better than leyline in this metagame.
1: Yeah, that's, a, that, I... that,
0: that's that's a big call to make. We, we we talked about the differences between leyline and endurance and the way that leyline is good because it dodges hand disruption and it actually dodges a lot of a lot of removal. Not as much, but it's also an ongoing thing where it isn't this one shot where you know leyline nukes everything forever until it gets removed. Whereas endurance is soft to hand disruption and is a one-shot thing that the opponent can rebuild from.
1: Right. You, you need to follow an endurance up with a quick kill, or you're yes. just going to be right back. As far as reanimator goes, yep. you're going to be right back in the same position. Yep.
0: I mean, and you can say the same thing for uh, a Blue Red Delver. Yeah. If, you're, if you are worried about that Murktide Regent, you know, if, if I'm not take there, them long to get it. If I'm sitting with my Leyland of the Void, I'm not really worried about it. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll use reanimator because it's been showing up so much. I'm not really scared of reanimator at all as long as my ley line is out because right. there's nothing you can do other than going dark, red, dark, red, dark, red, grave Titan, which is possible. Which,
1: again, if they, if somebody does something like that, you're like, all right, you got it. Yeah. That's you earned that. <laughs> right. When, when you, when you, you discard four, four cards, cards to play a great, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Ley line just is so bad. Like it's good when it's, it's great in your opening hand yeah. and is just so, it's, awful. it's like a counter spell where it's yeah. like,
0: it's good. It's good for one second. And then right. beyond that, it's useless.
1: Endurance just has a lot more game, yep.
0: and you know it hedges a lot more uh, in the blue-red delver side. I think because endurance is just an incredible beating in that it bodies almost every single threat blue-red delver has to throw at you and walks away from it. It'll yep. eat a ragavan, a delver, and a DRC. The only thing it doesn't eat is merktide, and we have other ways to deal with that.
1: Yep. And on top of that, if you you combine that with those reclaimers, the odds you have a three-four sitting on the other side of the field, like on your side pretty good against if you bring those all yep. in you got four endurance four reclaimers you got yep. a lot of unboltable creatures to just gum the works yep. up against delver and, and it's pushed you basically force them to have a, a merc Tide, yeah and then you all all you need to do is save your ats for the merc Tide. Mm-hmm. that's it like yep. you've got four merc Tides, i've got three ats i'm gonna kill it as soon as it sees play i'm gonna use grist to kill it as soon as it comes out i'm gonna use scavenging Ooze to Keep your graveyard empty so you never get to cast it for two.
0: On top of gaining life and making it bigger. Right. Very possibly. Which,
1: I mean, once Scavenging Ooze comes... Scavenging Ooze is great in those grinding matches. Yes. Where it's just like, cool, we're going to trade back and forth. Oh, look at that. I've got five mana. I'm going to drop a uh, Scavenging Ooze, eat three of my elves. Now I have a five five. Yep. A five five is very good against... Don't forget Zelda. you gain three life. Correct. Like, that life gain it's just matters. Con- it's that constant, like... Okay, I'm going to take everything you've done and kind of undo it. It
0: makes combat math way harder too. It does when they can grow their ooze at instant speed. They can you, you, swinging for lethal is harder because they can gain life at instant speed. It, like you have to start keeping track of what's in the graveyard, what's going to the graveyard. Just trading creatures one for one becomes a lot less. Like it, it's it's not a on par trade because you're giving your opponent a plus one plus one
1: counter and a life. Correct. Like yep, I, I'm a huge fan of Guz. I don't think I ever cut him from my list. So he's he's usually my sixty first card. Is it common to run twenty lands with two Dryad Arbor in the main? Yes, that's okay. that's your typical. Okay, the, you've got a tiny bit of wiggle room, but it's it's usually right around either eighteen or twenty. And only three natural order. You think that is that another? That's, that's typical. Oh, okay, I thought I thought
0: it was a full four of. That's especially with the Allosaurus Shepherd.
1: That's kind of how I used to play it. Mm-hmm. When Once Upon a Time came out, I cut mine down to three because you just. You end up hitting them too often. Like that's fair. You just don't want that many non-creature spells in your deck. Mm-hmm. And it's the other thing is it's just you almost never want two natural orders. It's just really nice. Like I like playing elves as a natural order deck as opposed to a glimpse deck. Julian himself is just way better at glimpse than I am. So it doesn't surprise me at all. Like he's I mean, there's a lot of times where he just he'd fire up leagues or uh, challenges and just I've seen him a couple times just not even run natural order and just build it as a glimpse deck. Gotcha. He sides them out all the time. I um, you
0: told me about that like in the uh, well, it used to be before Alistair Shepherd, you'd side them out in the in the in the tempo or the fair matchups. Yeah. Do you still do you still side them out against Delver with Alistair Shepherd or you I lean in, mine in? Lean into it now. Yep,
1: now that now that Al- with Alistair Shepherd because that's why you want to side them out is typically speaking if you're playing against a Force of Will deck, you don't want to two for one yourself because you're two for one not only like your opponent has to two for one themselves in mm-hmm. order to force a will you? And that's that's fine with, like, yeah, but, a glimpse. But you're losing
0: board presence.
1: Not only are you losing board presence, but, like, so if I fire off a glimpse and you force a willet, I've got one mana, two for one, right? Yep. If I natural order, I'm losing a creature that I've already paid for, I'm paying four mana, and then we're even on cards. So I'm down at least four mana, probably mm-hmm. five, in order to get that natural order. Yeah. And then we're even on cards. Like it's a beating. That's that, huge. It's really big. So when you're playing if you can guarantee that it was resolve or like yep. If you weren't in the, you know, I have to cast it or lose kind of thing, like getting your natural order force willed sucked. Gotcha. So El Sword Shepherd protects a lot against that.
0: Yep. That card's pretty ridiculous.
1: Well, other than
0: Julian's list, I don't think we have anything else. Uh, perusing through this really quickly, we're going to do a little less on Legacy this week uh, for two reasons. One, we have less Legacy uh, information in terms of the the bigger tournament we want to talk about. There was a challenge, but uh, it's Legacy, guys. So <laughs> we're not going to talk much about it. Legacy's not in a great place. I think we're going to give ourselves a little bit of a break from the Legacy meta at large. Yeah. Is there anything you see on this uh, this 24 list of decks that you think is interesting and you want to talk about? You know, Again, we don't get talked about really anything specific deck wise or card choice wise but you know this was something that people brought the best of the best did you see anything that was kind of an interesting deck choice
1: it's not spicy anymore but eight cast being played and doing reasonably well i saw that if it wasn't solidified as a real deck it in my mind it definitely is now like when you have people coming to tournaments that can qualify you for the pro tour and you're playing a deck like that's a real deck same thing again i know obviously it's a real deck, but like painter is something that is always kind of thought of as a tier two or tier three deck. Like I, depends on how you define tiers. Some people define it as what people are playing, like as a percentage of metagame, other people define it as like power of a deck. Mm-hmm. I've always thought painter within the past, like I shouldn't say always, but within the past six months or a year, painters are real, like a very, you need to know how to beat it. I wouldn't yeah. say you need to like sideboard a ton against it because most people, there's just not a whole lot of people yeah, it playing does, it. It doesn't have
0: the meta share like that. To to justify
1: something like that? demand the
0: respect. and you should know the Painter matchup. The bad thing about Painter, unless you're playing against it, is a lot of your hate works on Painter. Painter is susceptible to a lot of the standard hate. It's susceptible to Swords of Plowshares. It's susceptible to um, prismatic Ending. It's susceptible to basically any removal and also most counterspells. There are ways to get around counterspells, but um, with the really big pickup of Urza Saga, being able to just tutor up one half of your combo. Yep. Well, it was a big pickup. and
1: Well, and that's that's one of the things we love about Saga, as far as legacy goes, mm-hmm. is Saga doesn't seem to be... Like, for a while there, it was all over the place, but yeah. it seems to have been trimmed out of... Most people aren't just throwing it into everything. Well,
0: they aren't throwing it into the good, good decks.
1: Right. That's what I mean. But it's it's elevating those kind of tier two yeah. deck, tier three decks, like something Painter. like Painter. Painter was definitely
0: a tier two, tier two and a half, no matter how you look at it. Yeah. Like, where whether it's power level or play percentage. It was tier two and a half. And now it's tier one and a half? Maybe tier one? Like, the, the deck is strong. The funny thing is... <laughs> depending on what colors you have supporting Painter.
1: Like, for a while, Jeskai Ragavan was kind of all over the place, mm-hmm. using Urza Saga and stuff like that. That's kind of waned a little bit, and yep. people have just been leaning real hard into Blue-Red. I'm kind of curious how much more dominant Blue-Red would be if it wasn't for Urza Saga. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Because, like, then all those other decks just kind of lose a bunch of they lose a lot of percentage points and blue red is just sitting right where it would be
0: yeah if you can if you can match blue red delver card for card and get into the mid game where your saga start taking over right where they huge yeah until they drop, until they drop a two minute eight eight and kill you in a turn
1: basically any if anybody who's listening that doesn't already know this if you look at this you should know the ins and outs of every deck list on this list like if you go to the reddit and look at the 24 on here mm-hmm. you should know how to play every single one of these matchups yep.
0: for, for reference we're pulling off of uh Mick Winsauce, Sauce one of our boys who we <laughs> love talking about on our uh top 8s posted a th- uh thread in the MTG Legacy reddit where he has kind of culminated this list of decks and and uh, in the comment there's there in the comments is all kinds of information about them but we're we're tapping into his link and i agree with that statement where you sh- if you are trying to become a legacy player. If you want to be in the legacy community, first of all, we're happy to have you welcome. We love seeing you. But yeah, you should be able to look at every one of these lists and have a pretty good idea of what the deck is trying to do and be able to think of most of the cards in it and its win cons.
1: Yep. If you wanted to, this would be a good thing to do is go through, make a list of each one of the individual decks, you don't mm-hmm. you don't have to do like the redundancies where this blue red delver deck has yeah. uh, pick a list that seems reasonable, make a gauntlet with it using proxies and test against those yep. decks. And just take your deck and just get a friend like me and Jake have. We literally have this. We have. We don't have a full gauntlet anymore because we haven't updated it for a while. We're still building it, but and we just sit down like before a tournament. Like I'll sit down with Elves and Jake will just rotate yep. through decks. So I'll, we're gonna.
0: I'll play Delver and then I'll play Storm and then I'll play Hogak and then I'll play Miracles and then I'll and I just play your deck against. Or if you have a weakness, if you're like, man, I'm have a really rough game against Hogak and I want to improve on that, we'll just play Hogak five times in a row. Yep. Just. And it's, Good figure practice. it out.
1: Yep. Get some reps in. I do. And wanna, this is these are the decks you should be getting reps in against.
0: I do want to call out uh, Janky B in fifteenth. Bring in a was listed as a blue-white control list. Nice. So I'm really happy to see the only list I have in paper, at least in some <laughs> capacity, showing up.
1: Uh, you you probably have a very similar list to this like Bant Expressive Iteration list.
0: I could probably get close to that. Yeah, with, they're uh, having less dual lands in is appropriate, but I could get close.
1: But yeah, it, it was an interesting tournament
0: um, in that. We get to see a really nice mix of all of the top decks, but it was also what we expect to see in a top eight. Yeah,
1: just like going through here, just looking at the names that like you just recognize. Where it's like it's Julian uh, McWinsauce, Sauce, Sauce, XJ Thali- Cloud, Archon, Misspelled Thalia, Misspelled. Yeah, like these are very.
0: I mean, and that makes sense. These are the grinders. The yep. grinders are who the or who get invited to the mocks because they're the best performing players on average.
1: Yeah, congratulations to everybody just yes. for getting invited. Yeah,
0: certainly well done.
1: Again, shout out to Julian. Well done, sir.
0: So for modern this week, we had a modern super qualifier. So obviously it's a little different than a showcase qualifier. It's a little different than a challenge. It's one of the 14 different kinds of events MTGO can host.
1: As opposed to a MOX super qualifier. As opposed to a, or, it, sorry, a MOX showcase qualifier. It, yep. This is a modern super qualifier. Yeah. And um, I don't know what any of those mean. <laughs>
0: I, I, a quick Google search told me what a modern super qualifier is is basically allows you to play for a spot on the player tour or a pro tour of some kind. Essentially, it qualifies you for a much higher level <laughs> tournament, but I don't think it has any like like entry requirements. So it's basically like a um, an open PTQ yeah. where you can just show up and play. Gotcha. Uh, they don't do them nearly as often as other events because.
1: Which is what PTQs used to be.
0: Oh, PTQs were open? Yeah. I did not know that. remember correctly. I never got to go to one. So yeah, yeah, this is kind of an online PTQ where you kind of just get to show up and. Let the cream rise at to the top. They do it a couple times a year.
1: Yep, you do a PTQ, and then if you won, you got an invite to the Pro Tour. Yep, you get a I, blue
0: envelope. And I don't know if this gets you to into the Pro Tour, quote unquote, but it gets you into some pro level event. This is a this is a high stakes tournament again. So that's why we're, I'm going to cover this over the challenge we had on Sunday. I think this yeah. is a lot more this is a lot more relevant. And I, I this might have been on Sunday. I'm not sure when these happened because I know that I've seen some names from the Sunday challenge. Also showing up from the super qualifier, so they don't think they happened at the same time. Yeah, and Wizards is awful about uploading the dates. I'm not super positive, but we're going to talk about the qualifier this week. First place was JV7777 with Crashing Footfalls.
1: I wonder if he plays Final Fantasy.
0: A list that we haven't seen in a while putting up really good numbers. So therefore probably a month or two, right when this podcast started, Crashing Footfalls was kind of dominating the meta. And it dominated for a long time, where it was putting up two or three lists in every top eight, Saturday and Sunday. And then it kind of got pushed to the wayside, which basically means everybody started putting Chalice on their sideboard and dropping Chalice on zero, turn one or two, and just shutting these decks down. But, you know, we've slowly started to see these decks kind of creep back up, and it's really cool to see it bring home and kind of reassert its dominance at top. Because, you know, what we're looking for in a metagame is this churn where... One deck is great for a while, and then it gets pushed to the bottom, and a new deck is great for a while, and then it gets pushed, not to the bottom, but it, get, it gets yeah. pushed down out of the top eight for and then it, and so we're churning back into, looks like, some Crash Cade coming back in.
1: Well, just to back up your point here, drive it home, in the top eight of this, there were three total Chalice of the Voids and Sideboards. <laughs> People did not come yep. prepared to play against Cascade.
0: Cascade has completely fallen on people's radars, and that, is, I mean, it's the blue-red reanimator of Legacy, where... When the graveyard hate falls out of people's minds, that's when that's when Grizzlebrand Brand shows back up.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's what Affinity used to do. That was uh, before they banned Mox Opal. That was kind of its role. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't dominant, but it would do the same kind of thing where it's like, OK, everybody put their stony silences away. Time to f- spike a tournament with yep. Affinity. And then everybody's like, oh, we got to do this again. And they bring in their stuff. And So looking at this list, I don't see anything.
0: We've talked this before. I don't see anything crazy in here. Um <laughs> Running, crashing, or uh, sorry, running these cascade effects is very limiting on deck building because you can't have any zero, one, or two drops in your deck, yeah. unless you're running something like Brazen Borrower or Bone Crusher Giant. One subtlety is cool. I was going—that's what I was going to bring up. Was we do have one subtlety in the main and one subtlety in the side to help secure? I'm, I, I'm obviously some kind of creature mashup. It might be Prime Time. I'd say it's probably there to help shear up Prime Time and Tron. Tron has been picking up a little bit and Primetime has really been picking up lately. Now obviously subtlety is good for any deck. I mean
1: it's good for Murktide, it's good I for- was going to say it's it's very good against Murktide. I mean I think it's it's okay like I mean it's force will for Murktide it is, but <laughs> so, I mean, you could just, well. I guess you
0: can't run. You can't run counterspell.
1: As far as this deck goes, it's basically force of will for Murktide.
0: Yeah, I guess that's true. And so. Murktide
1: has been picking up, but it, it, like you said, it basically hits anything somebody wants to tap out for. Yeah, like it, you it, don't want to. There's a
0: couple decks right now going crazy. I mean, like it, it does hit. It, it can buy you that it, that essential turn against the four color xen. Not Zeno, That's the uh, the Omnath decks, the Elemental decks. Like it does hit just enough that I could I I can see the the two the one main one side but i i also understand going down to just one cuz there's not really a whole lot that it's like really saving you from other than the one here one there
1: yeah it's more than likely and uh, this is you know the most obvious statement in the world it's in there primarily just because you're not allowed to run anything better yeah. so it's just like this is the best thing i can do to answer these cards that still doesn't get hit by yeah. cascade and i would agree there and yeah. i think that's I mean you, that to you, me is per- the perfect thing about that card. Like that's where those cards should exist. Like mm-hmm. I love the fact that cards exist like that, where it's just like it's a very good card in a very narrow window, yep. and it's not yep. seen everywhere.
0: Because you've got three fury to clean up all the small stuff. Like you're not really worried about the yep. ragavans, the esper sentinels, the even even things, even some even the uh, the hammer times. Because you've got fury to come in and clean up just stuff on the board. But the is there for things that fury can't can't get.
1: Yep, and subtlety is also. So, the one thing to look, one of the things to keep in mind there is with Brazen Borrow, where you don't want to think of your subtlety as a one of, you kind of want to look at it as one of five. Because it, while it, it does counter it, Brazen Borrow is also one of your answers for Merc Tide and Prime Time mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yep. Where it's just like, bouncing you know, it, bouncing it, just a cheap little tempo answer to get it out of the way. Yep. Just so, to buy you time. Yep. So, it's your, just like, I need a couple more answers for that, those yep. big spells.
0: Just force your four fours through. Yep.
1: To force your fourth force through
0: second place was a Orchov Hammer Time list, so we're definitely sporting the, in my opinion, the superior
1: version with Luris. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, there's one thought season in the main, I wouldn't call it spice. Running thought seas is probably never spice, but I don't, that, that doesn't seem very typical. Yeah.
0: Briefly looking over this list, I don't see anything crazy in here. Um, yeah, we, we have all our endings in the side uh one thought season the main is kind of new i guess but like this looks like a pretty stock list this looks like a pretty standard um just chock full of four ofs it is running the new which is it's not new at this point but ingenious smith is kind of the new addition that has just kind of become stock in these decks the ability to dig four deep for any equipment and then just the fact that it gets obnoxiously large every time or at least once a turn on your turn making it giving it a plus one plus one counters for playing an artifact is very easy to do
1: yeah is uh portable hole standard
0: yes okay.
1: um i figured it was it's it's, it's, it's a very good card
0: it, i wouldn't say it's like in every single one but it's not at all uncommon to see portable hole yeah. out of these lists just because it's a it's a relatively solid cleanup for the early game
1: i always like to call out cards that i just think are just very well designed even mm-hmm. if they're not super powerful powerful portable hole is a very cool card uh is super flavorful like yep just i don't bring up flavor a whole lot but portable hole is super flavorful and just it's super flexible like it's it's a card that's just not it's just really it's just a really well designed card. Yeah. We were we were really excited
0: about Portable Hole when it got spoiled out of the D&D set. It got spoiled quite a bit early. Yeah. Um and then just the vastly superior prismatic ending got printed and right. like prismatic ending is borderline probably too good for magic. Portable Hole is like excellent. Portable yeah. Hole is a limitation that there should be on a on a one on essentially a one mana removal spell that hits any permanent, any non-land permanent. It's the it is the limitation that it needs. Yep.
1: Yeah, I, I love that card. It's cool.
0: Third place, third and fourth are Grixis Shadow lists. So Grixis Shadow kind of maintains its top top tier seat in terms of just kind of dominating the meta lately. We're putting up kind of like we talked about, where Crashcade put up two or three lists in the top eight for weeks and weeks and weeks. Grixis Shadow is there. Everyone's playing Grixis Shadow, and it's just it's just always in the top eight, and it's gonna be and it looks like there almost for a identical lists. Yep. And it I mean identical list even what we've seen like. Yeah. Obviously, these lists probably play with one or two of them I'm missing, but these lists are almost identical to what you see in a Grixis Death Shadow list and what you expect to see in a Grixis Death Shadow lists. Fifth place was another Hammer Time list, but this Hammer Time list is actually splashing into green. So we've got Lurrus and Ancient Stirrings. Not something I see super common. I have seen it before in Hammer Time decks, but it is not something that I kind of expect to see. So Ancient Stirrings in the main, obviously just going and getting most anything it's it's kind of like a better version of the ingenious smith which oddly enough it is taking the ingenious smith spot in the main deck but just allowing you to dig five cards deep instead of four and you can get lands off of it if you ever wanted that out of your out of your thing
1: yep yeah that's it's just kind of interesting to look at the two that's what i've been doing is just looking at the two hammer time lists just comparing them so So you got ancient stirrings and then no portable hole yep The Sideboard,
0: you get to buy yourself into Veil of Summer, which obviously is really good in this very control heavy meta. Yeah, well, I mean, Grixis Shadow is one of the top decks, but blue white control control is still a very, very all
1: over the place with Shadow.
0: Yep, discard is all over the place with Shadow, and then control is all over the place just because. So, like, the one of the reasons control is doing so well is because one of the better decks is those four color Omnath decks, and they just dirtle around so long. That your blue-white control lists or your Jeskai control lists have so much time to get into their five to fairy or their wilderness reclamation and just can't take over games. Like I've seen I've just seen those blink decks have such a hard time closing games out mm-hmm. that you just have time to build up to something huge. So Bale of Summer, it seems like it's like a really good sideboard call. And one of Gaia's blessing. Because we yeah, gotta we. throw a little bit of respect to Mill, because Mill's pretty good in Modern right now.
1: We were so excited when Guy's Blessing first came out. Yeah, way back in the day. <laughs> uh, if I remember correctly, it's also the original art is also Rebecca Guay. Not super important, but Guy's Blessing's just one of our favorite cards from. Yeah, back I mean, in the
0: Rebecca Guay is one of my favorite artists. Yeah. She has some really good looking art.
1: He's real, if you haven't seen it, Guy's Blessing's beautiful.
0: I'll have to look it up. Sixth place was a Murktide Regent list. This is that pretty stock Legacy list in the middle of Modern. You're running almost the same threat suite for uh channeler for Ragavan for Merktide, and then just worse removal and worse counterspell and worse cantrips in the in the main.
1: It does have two Blood Moon, which kinda kinda drives home the point with these like three and four yep. or four and five color like, Blood Moon Elemental has lists. definitely
0: been going up in popularity and stock lately just because mana bases are getting really greedy and modern. And so you're starting to see a lot more decks running Blood Moon that can afford to run Blood Moon. Um, especially in the side, this one even running it in the main.
1: Which is again, we've we talked about it a few times, but just that's why currently I think modern is just really in a good spot is like these greedy mana bases are coming in and so people are just pivoting to Blood Moon. Like mm-hmm. currently there just isn't anything. There's a couple things that are a little bit questionable, but there's nothing that modern players haven't been able to solve yeah. when given a couple weeks in order to do it. Yeah. There's I mean, you see
0: a lot of these you see a lot of these lists kind of shuffle back and forth a little bit. But the top dog and what is like putting up multiple lists a week changes on the month. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, that churn is what people are looking for. Like, you know, just because Grixis Shadow is the best deck for the last two weeks doesn't mean, um, Cascade Crashcade's been bad, right? Like, if you own Crashcade, you can still go play and do. You can still top eight a challenge with Crashcade. And just the harder. fact that
1: Grix's Shadow is super popular means you're again more likely to do yeah. well because now nobody's rocking their yeah. chalice of the world. And you
0: know, once you're running, you know, when Crashcade hops on top, it doesn't mean that the Five Color Blink deck sucks now. It just like Crashcade's a little better right now. But you can still, if you own Crash, or if you still, if you own Five Color Blink, you can still go do really well with it. Like this is the churn I want to see in my meta, not the. Well, MH3 is coming out in six months, so we'll see what decks become obsolete.
1: Yeah, so basically what people should do is have, like, Hammer Time and then something like Cascade or something. You can have your, like, linear glass cannon cool Uh combo deck. Play that when people aren't playing their Chalice of the Voids or their, you know, Answer. And then when they are, just pivot to Hammer Time and just bounce back and forth week to week. Exactly. just pick two decks that don't have the same, Yep. like... They don't have the same Achilles heel, yeah. And then just pivot whichever one is popular yeah, at the time. You're just ready to show up yep. to any
0: challenge and be ready to play to the meta. Yep. Seventh place was that five color omnath list I was talking about. Those hyper greedy, uh, ephemerate style lists. I apologize. This is not an eph- i It was loading, it. this is not an ephemerate style list. This is a five this color is that
1: bring light list.
0: Yeah, five color omnath with bring the light. So this is a little more stock than the one we kind of made fun of last week where it had bring the light and a bunch of humans and some some weird one-ofs, but this is a this is more of a scapeshift list. Like obviously you've got, you know, omnath and dryad and like Renin 6 to help like stable games and and you obviously you can win with an omnath. You can win with um uh Renin Six. But like the way this deck wins is this deck stabilizes and gets to its scapeshift and scapeshifts out a valicut or a couple valicuts and a bunch of mountains with your dryad making them all mountains. Yep. Yeah that's uh and then bring to light obviously like we said just a good way to filter through your deck and find whatever you need. Most likely it's gonna be Scapeshift. The piece you need it's probably Scapeshift a lot, but it's also probably Dryad a lot depending on what you have in your hand.
1: So I'm gonna do a little self own here. Uh modern players please make brain delight a thing it was actually my first spec way back in the day oh, so yeah. i think i have like 10 brain delights just sitting in a binder those are like that card is just it costs five so mm-hmm. it needs something very powerful yep. to do but it's just begging to be broken well, it's one of those things that like every year it gets better correct the idea like the idea
0: of cards like that where they tutor out the best thing for the number of colors it just gets better every year
1: yep so that's the problem was that set was opened like um It was, there were quite a few packs of that set open because that was the expedition set. Yep. So I spec'd in a set that had a ton opened.
0: Yeah. Well, but every year we get, every year more and more of them disappear. Yep. They get run over, they get washed, they get In 20 years
1: after Bring Delight is no longer good.
0: (laughs) Yep. When we're all playing Alchemy and everyone sold their paper collection 10 years ago.
1: Yeah. So yeah, keep keep bringing (laughs) your Bring Delights to the tournament.
0: Eighth place is our more traditional four color blink list with on Om- or with uh with our Yorion, our seven, our seven elementals, eternal witnesses, and four ephemerates. Yep. So this is this is pretty stock compared with what I've seen. The number of planeswalkers is a little higher than normal. Four three uh four Teferi Time Raveler and four Renin Six. Those numbers are usually like one of those is usually at two. Usually you don't see eight planeswalkers as even in an 80 card deck, they just stack so poorly you know your second ren is kind of garbage unless your first one gets destroyed but yeah
1: yeah but ren and six is just so good in this deck
0: ren and six is really i mean ren and six is just good period well, it's um,
1: just being able to repeatedly reuse your fetches yep. in a 80 card four color deck
0: yeah never missing your land drops being able to remove i mean there's there's so many x ones in the format being able to throw one damage around is so powerful and then you have just your, your huge top ends like omnath eternal eternal witness uh, relevant, this one is not running a time walk or not time walk, but a time warp. Yep. So we don't have the infinite turns loop in here. We're running Elodomery's Call kind of in its place. So the ability to tutor up whatever creature you need when you need it, which again, Elodomery's Call pairs so well with Fury and Solitude, the ability to just go get the thing you need. And if you have to use it right away to not die. Yeah. Other than that, I don't see anything crazy. It is hilarious to point out the one emmercruel, the promised end in the side.
1: Yep. Well, you don't want to lose to mill. Or is, no, that's the
0: that's no. the other one. That guy's just uh. So I'll admit, I have no clue why there's a fi- why there's a thirteen drop uh, emmercruel cool on the side.
1: Anything stupid, not stupid, but anything weird that would allow him to cheat it out doesn't look like it. So well, I imagine the way I, the thing that's a hell of a top. How end. I look at that is. Your games are going to go long. Yeah. <laughs> Delirium type stuff is everywhere. Is that your mirror breaker, you think? That's, I mean, because uh, so realistically, he's going to cost eight. Mm hmm. Between land, instant, sorcery, creature, and planeswalkers are everywhere, too, right? Mm hmm. So getting five card types in your opponent's graveyard is not an impossible. enchantment. An enchantment, like artifacts are everywhere. Yeah. So, like getting five or six card types in a real long game, making him cost seven or eight, I'm, and when he does, he just wins the game.
0: Yeah. So, I,
1: that's, that's a barring I, anything I we saw, are not seeing. I
0: saw Emmercull when I kinda of assumed the Aeon's torn. Yeah, that's no, this is, I did the same thing. You said Emmercul, and I didn't
1: even listen to the other three words. Emmercull,
0: <laughs> the promise end. That's a really interesting top end to bring in. I'd be interested to see games where like that card gets cited in and whether or not it's relevant. Because we've always talked about like a deck, especially an eighty card deck, can probably do fine with one bad card. A sideboard can definitely do good with one bad card.
1: You know how he's getting that out on math.
0: Oh, getting to double up on mana with a fetch yeah. land? Yeah. Yeah, so you need... I mean, but you still need, what, eight lands out and then crack a fetch?
1: Well, I mean, it's a combination of things. I guess it's... Yeah.
0: So if he's reduced to costing eight... If he's
1: reduced to costing eight, then you have an you could play your four,
0: You could play your fifth land, crack a fetch, and you have one mana left yep. over. Boom! Wow.
1: <laughs> That's hilarious, and I love that. That's the
0: best way to cheese out an Emrakul I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, that's points, so good. Points to Zach. Attack 23. That's a good pretty the cool. the one
1: of makes perfect sense with the Adomri's call. Yep. So you get it. Only, he's he's one of in an 80 card deck and you only go get him when it's when you absolutely for sure can cast him. Yep. That's cool. That's uh, that's super exciting. All well right. done.
0: We're getting a little late in our episode for meta recap. So let's run through this meta summary and these cards really quick and then we're going to hop into our final topic of the night which is actually going to be the Kamagawa kind of sneak preview we got. Yeah. So meta game summary. with Hammer Time, seven decks in our top 32. That's kind of a lot for modern. Usually you don't see any deck breaking the top, uh, breaking 20% of the meta, but I'm not surprised at all that's Hammer Time. Hammer Time is kind of colloquially just one of the most popular,
1: uh, best decks in modern, and it has been for a while. It's not to take away from the deck at all. It's also one of the cheaper decks. It's the cheapest tier one deck, especially online. So it's going to be like. Yeah, online it's 350 tickets. Like only Burn is cheaper, it looks like.
0: Yeah. Between 3 and 500 tickets is pretty freaking cheap for yeah. uh for a modern deck especially in the world of solitude fury and Urza saga.
1: Yeah, so it's kind of like death and taxes and legacy where it's going to be a little overrepresented just because it's a little yep. cheaper. And that's not to take away from the deck, but it's crazy good too. Or any pilots who use it, it's just yep. you're going to have a lot more people playing it.
0: Yep. And then right behind that is death shadow, that grixa shadow list was six bringing up uh, almost 19% of the meta. And then we've got five decks uh this four color blink And Yori on deck with almost sixteen percent of the meta. So this meta kind of congealed around a couple archetypes a lot more than usually we see. We usually see maybe one list in the six or seven decks, and then a lot of like threes and twos. Whereas we have you know we have seven, six, five, and then a bunch of twos. So this week kind of congealed a little bit more. Um, What that what that says to me is you know it looks like modern is kind of settling down into 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 a steady format that people are going to start. Programming against and completely shake it up here in the next two weeks.
1: Yep. So yep. if I were you, in the next tournament, you're probably going to want to. There's two ways it could go. Either you're going to see a ton of Death Shadow again, so mm-hmm. you want to be able to beat Death Shadow. Yep. Or you want to be able to beat the deck that beats Death Shadow. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like that. 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 That's what you need to be bringing to the tournament is either yeah, be ready to beat Death Shadow or counter program against Death Shadow's weaknesses. Yeah.
1: Because people are going to show up to beat Death Shadow after yep. this tournament. I mean,
0: how, with how it's every week more people show up to beat it because it's every week it's it's showing up in such huge numbers. You know, five more people go. I'm not losing Death Shadow this week, and then eventually Death Shadow is going to get its butt kicked.
1: Maybe I just need to trade my Sagas and something else into Ragavans and build Death Shadow.
0: Uh, I would highly recommend not buying so- not buying Ragavans yet. I don't think he's here to stay for long.
1: I don't know if he'll go anywhere in modern. I don't well, think but he... once
0: once he leaves in Legacy, the price is going to drop a quite bit. a bit. I bet a lot of Ragavans are being held by Legacy players most played cards this is pretty standard expressive iteration mistress bobble prismatic ending ragavan and drc almost the same as every week like these numbers definitely don't change very much and that's kind of sad to see top creatures ragavan drc solitude in third and esper sentinel in fourth with memnite fifth top spells expressive iteration mistress bobble prismatic ending unholy heat and to fairy time raveler the three fairy and fifth um the most played cards definitely don't change very much at all Creatures look pretty similar. Solitude's kind of moving around in there. As for Sentinel and Memnite, those are always there. And with the most played cards, those are also pretty common. I think there's a few more Teferis here than normal. All right, that's all I've got for Modern this week. Why don't we bump over into the announcement that we got from Wizards about Kamigawa? Which I think is... I I wonder how much of it was planned and how much of it was spurred by the sudden leaks that happened. So over the last week or so... We had, and a lot of people don't talk about leaks, and so we're not going to give these guys a ton of validity, but we had some pictures kind of posted to Reddit of someone had somehow gotten a hold of a couple Kamigawa cards. Yep. And then, what, three or four days after those went up, Watsi came out with an official, like, mini spoiler session for Kamigawa. The set that doesn't come out until, like, February 28th, February 27th.
1: So there's typically, speaking around this time, there's a little bit of a, like, downturn in like card prices and interest in magic you got the holidays yep. and stuff like that so i could see them wanting to generate a little bit of hype yeah. going into christmas you know hey don't forget magic is a thing guys well, we got a new set coming up buy stuff for christmas yeah Get and people this is talking about magic again i mean
0: this is the biggest window we've had of no of no spoiler season no cards coming out for the year yeah where we had crimson Val come out like a month ago and that kind of was like that was kind of the the that was supposed to be the last thing until supposed to be the last thing until the new year. And it was kind of you know, that's usually comes out I think early January. I can't remember that I can't remember what set that was supposed to be, but it wasn't supposed to be right after astra That wasn't supposed to be right after the fall set. They kind of took one of next year's sets and smushed it up. Mm-hmm. So we were we were set to have a really long break, especially by modern printing standards. And that completely got shook up with hey guys, here's like four new cards and the basic lands you get to look forward to. Yeah. So just really quick, Matt, since the Kamigawa neon destiny neon dynasty, I think I've been <laughs> saying it wrong the whole time. That's fair. Uh, is kind of what you've been most excited about. Why don't you kind of take over and read through some of these spoilers and tell us what you think about them.
1: Yeah. There's not a ton to, I mean, there's only a few cards and the rest are basics. Um, I guess we'll do the basics first just because they're the thing I'm most excited for. Mm-hmm. So there's these, uh, there's two basics for each type two planes, islands, forests, swamps, mountains. They're gorgeous. Like, I don't really know what else to say other than that. Like, they've replaced the, there's a, I'm assuming the print in Japanese there is Plains Island.
0: Yes, they are. They literally say, yeah. they say just the I don't read Japanese.
1: I'm just, it's the logical conclusion. And then they have the man assemble there. And then they're full art. And they are, there's not a single one of these that doesn't look great. I have my favorites, but these all look fantastic. So personally, these are okay.
0: I'm deaf I'm on the other side. Like I like these are cool lands, and I will agree that these are some of the most beautiful lands that have ever come out. Just like objectively. That's but, what I
1: mean. Is yeah. like the art on every single one of these cards is beautiful.
0: Um, they are not I most of these would not be in contention for my favorite, let's say like my favorite planes or my favorite mountain. Yeah. But they are they are they are beautiful. I recommend everyone like go check these things out. Like
1: I personally like if we're just like critiquing the cards, I wish they would have made the name and mana symbol far less prominent. Yeah. Like make the border, um, like I would have just put like a very small thing at the bottom that says, "Yep, they mountain." They, they could have shrunk that by like eighty percent and it'd be fine, right? Like, because everybody know, all it needs to do is it needs to identify itself as a forest. Everyone knows what it does. The the lands, if you
0: aren't looking at them, they, they they're very traditional Japanese art style lands, and you can eat like they are very reminiscent of the Strixhaven, um, archive. Not Strixhaven. Yeah. The Strixhaven, like Mystical, the mystical Archive, art, The Japanese. Japanese alt art versions. Yep. They're very reminiscent of that. They're really pretty. Like in my opinion, the swamp with the the swamp at night is like well, I said both at night, but the swamp that doesn't have any of the balloons in it.
1: Yeah. Like
0: that it, it's that is probably the, the best looking land in my opinion. It's beautiful. I think the island is probably a second for me. The island with the uh the uh origami cranes in it or origami swans is beautiful we were talking about it like these are going to quickly become the vast majority of people's stock yeah
1: that's the only downside to
0: this because they're gonna have a very high print run they're gonna be in like one in every three packs yes so not every single pack legal set
1: that is probably going to be very
0: popular it's not like Innistrad or Zendikar where they're in every single pack but they're gonna be in a lot and I'm gonna bet dollars of donuts that Kamigawa gets a bunch of of packs opened just because it's got the Japanese flair to it.
1: This is going to be literally what everyone thinks, but I've got a Yuriko ninja list. Like this is, mm-hmm. th- this is where I would put those because I like to have my it, basics in my commander like Yeah. Thematic or a particular style. So like I, uh, my Marin deck is my primary uh, EDH list. So I, Rebecca Gway is my favorite artist. So Rebecca Gway basics, right? Mm-hmm. We've got Japanese themed basic lands. I've got a ninja deck. That's where these would kind of lean to. These are gonna be everywhere. Yeah. Um, my personal favorite, uh I really like the second mountain. It's got that dragon in the background, and that's really cool. And it's the it's the mountain wick with a
0: mountain and the, yeah, and the whisks like, of flame.
1: That's super cool. Um, and I don't know how I I literally know zero about art history styles or anything. The very last forest, I really like stuff made with that style. And I don't know why. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it, but it's that's just I think it, the forest that are, kind of
0: appeals to me. The forests are like my least favorite. I think of them,
1: and then the I do also like the first plains yep. with the city. See, really, I dis see I dislike most I lands. Don't, I don't I don't like it as a plains, but I yep. really like that art
0: i uh I very i usually don't like lands that have clear civilization in them yeah i I like the landscapes that are very like untouched undisturbed landscapes
1: there's the only time I really like them is when I'm using them to build a tribal deck mm-hmm. so like there's a there's a one particular there's a couple uh mountains that have like a goblin civilization built on the mountains and I think that's, that's really cool and if you're gonna yep. build a goblin deck that's so like if I was going to build like a green like I don't know if I would use them for elves but like a green. Tribal deck Mm -hmm. having one with a having like a village based green absolutely forest would be cool. I think my Um, but I agree with you there where I typically don't like civilization on lands either.
0: When my wife built her rats deck since she's a mortician, there I think it was innistrad has like a graveyard swamp right and like it's just perfect. Like I I, I'm I'm glad they make them because you never know when you want a land that looks like that. Like I'm glad they get kind of crazy with it, but I usually like the ones that are like. Like the island waterfall is just crazy and beautiful to me because it's just a nature waterfall.
1: Yep. And uh, so Wizards uses this phrase a lot and I don't like the way they use it when they say this product isn't for everyone. Mm -hmm. This is what I think about when they use that phrase. Yeah. Where we're going to print something where it may not appeal to everyone, but no one loses. Yeah. Because it's we're going to do. A very specific style of basic land. If you don't yep. want to use these basic lands, there are literally hundreds of other arts for yeah. basic lands.
0: Exactly how I feel about secret layers and the concept of like that. The scavenging ooze, in my opinion, it, it looks ugly. It's terrible. Yeah,
1: like with the neon pink and green yeah, crap. But that's fine. I don't have to use it or hurt buy anyone it. Anyone? for yeah. that to
0: be, it detracts zero. Other than you have to look at them, you have to look across from them sometimes. Like it doesn't attract from you, but like, hey, there's a mountain that looks like a Japanese village.
1: Right. You don't have to it's not going I mean, all these are gonna do is make standard really cheap because people are gonna be cracking packs. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Like not to say that standard's been expensive lately, because that's one of the things yep, they've done a very good job. It cheap. Is again, we always talk about credit where credits do with wizards. They've done a good job keeping standard relatively cheap. And mm-hmm. that's one of the that's one of the effects of doing all these alternative art things is you put in non gameplay related chase cards yep. and it drives the price down if you want to play because it it
0: encourages people to crack packs yeah
1: if you want to play him he's not going to be a $50 card for the regular version i don't know he, the, the 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 neon pink one might be well for the regular version he's going to be a dollar to $5 yep. and then if you want to get a blinged out version you can throw all the money you want at him mm-hmm. but you are not required to pay $50 in order to build, put him in your deck and that's one of the things they they really started to get that um, with the uh, the masterpiece series they did with the expeditions and then the uh, the inventions and the invocations is those really drove down the rest of the price of the set and didn't affect standard in a negative way at all because mana crypt isn't legal in standard
0: mm-hmm. exactly
1: so, um then they got rid of them and shifted them to secret layers which right. I think those two things are probably directly related <laughs> oh we can mana crypt is two hundred dollars. Yep, For we can, a shiny mana crypt? We can tap Why into aren't that. we selling that? Yep. <laughs> um, as far as the actual cards go, uh, we've got Hidigetsu, uh, Hidigetsugu Devouring Chaos. Uh, he's a 4 mana, 1 black, 4-4, uh, four, four, Legendary Demon Ogre. For, he's 3 and a black. Yeah, I know. But that's, he's 4 mana, he's got 1 black. That's just how, in my head, that's how I read that. He's got black, Sacrifice a Creature, Scry 2. Powerful ability. Yep, in the right circumstances. Uh, and then he's got two generic and one red to tap, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. When you exile a non-land card this way, he does damage equal to the exiled card's mana value to any target. So the first thing that popped up for me and Jake was uh, Worldly Tutor up an cool on top and yep. then dome somebody for... I
0: think Draco costs more, doesn't he? Draco's a 16.
1: Yeah, whichever. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Worldly Tutor up a giant, giant and a big, big and well, punch face with that I, him.
1: The, the thing that I thought of with Emrakul is... Isn't Through to the Breach or something? Isn't there... There are already red decks that run him, right? Trying to cheat him and play? Yeah. Yeah, there's a Through the Breach
0: deck in Modern that could play him. Yeah,
1: so... I don't know what
0: they were thinking about with this card, because, like, the mana cost and the secondary ability on its face kind of scream Commander to me. Well... But it also isn't, because it's target. It's not, like, each opponent or anything. So like, it's not a very good Commander card, and with the way standard has been, it's not a very good stand A 4-mana 4-4 four four that you can do something next turn isn't that good either.
1: No, realistically, unless... So, the way I see this happening is this guy sees almost no play anywhere unless there's some weird-ass combination that yeah either hasn't been spoiled yet, doesn't exist yet, and comes out in the future, or nobody's just seen yet yep. because there's, you know, it's we're nearing holidays, there's spoilers that yep. weren't everywhere. So... You know, there's there's not as many eyes on this yet, but unless there's some, like, hidden tech where somebody just breaks this, I don't really see this card going anywhere. Yeah. Seven mana and a turn to do something. hmm Just... To draw is, eight, it, to, to pseudo-draw to a, a card. Maybe dome
0: and, your opponent for... Well, a reasonable number would be, like, four or five. right? Unless so, it's a land, like...
1: But, I mean, e- well, the problem is this card has two conflicting things going on. You're paying three mana. You want to, like... Yeah, You sure. don't have a ton of mana to cast the card yeah. on top.
0: Whatever you exile, if it's big, you get you, to swing for a bunch, but you don't get to... don't get
1: to cast it, because you have to tap out to use it. Yeah. So... Kind of weird. And he taps, so you can't even attack that turn. Yep. And he doesn't do anything when he ETBs or dies, so he's not good in multiples.
0: Not nearly as good.
1: Yeah, like, that's a very, very strong yep. drawback. So, he's just not a very powerful card. Now, that so- being said, one of the reasons we don't think he's very powerful... Is because magic players have gotten super spoiled with yeah, power creep. and for sure. I mean, if this card existed back in the day, just he's just a, he does a lot. He's just not very good in the context of modern design.
0: Exactly. Now, what he did do is he did give us a, a, a taste of the new, like, showcase printing they're doing. Um which is not exactly showcased because there's different showcases. Yeah, Moving back into, you know, we're looking at seven or eight different printing versions of a card yeah, sometimes. Yeah, there's
1: currently spoiled seven different arts for this card. Yeah. Not arts, but different versions. versions.
0: So there obviously is like a, kind of like a promo showcase art where he's doing, he has a different pose and he looks a little different and it, it's it's different. What they've added on to that is a another level of like rarity and coolness where it has this like these neon color streaks of like red or green or blue or yellow to kind of differentiate it again as like a new hyper rare, hyper special version. What's weird about these is this new foiling process is going to be hyper rare and then escalate in rareness. So I'm going to read off of wizard's page here. So these will be prized finds for players and collectors and three of the colors will be found only in Kamigawa Neon Dynasty Collector Boosters. Less than 1% of boosters will contain a neon ink card. There are about half as many green ink cards as blue ink cards, and a quarter that many red ink cards. So if there's X number of green ink cards that are only in 1% of Collector Boosters, there's half as many blue ink cards than, um,
1: sorry... Yeah, other way around there, right? So if there's what is it? Where, where does it start? So, this is so if confusing. there's a hundred blues, there's only fifty greens, and then there's only what sixteen reds? No, a, yeah, a quarter of fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, or, sorry, 14? Yeah, it's, math 12, is not my Yeah, twelve or thirteen. Yeah. yeah, twelve
0: or thirteen. Like, it' and incredibly rare. So that would be hypothetically, if you opened up what ten thousand collector boosters, you'd get those numbers because it's one yeah. percent. Or it'd be like, so you open a thousand collector boosters? Yeah, so you
1: have to open a thousand boosters before you can start doing a hundred oh, of them. So, yeah.
0: These things are freaking rare. And, yeah. like, the, like...
1: Which the, is good, because, perfectly honest, I think they're ugly. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um. So, like, Heartless, Heartless Hedesugu is, I don't know, like, I don't see him being a chase. Even the rare, rare, rare version, I don't know why you chase him down, but if they end up printing a really broken, a really good version, like... This is how I would rather them do, like, essentially expeditions. Yeah, like, I mean, that's basically like what Heartless it is. Like, Heartless Hedesugu will always be cheap. Or, sorry, this isn't Heartless Hedotsugu. Sorry, Hedotsugu devouring, devouring chaos. Yeah,
1: Heartless would be expensive because he actually I'm, sees players. Sorry, I'm
0: thinking about, you know, actually OG Kamigawa. Yeah. Um, but if Hedisugu be becomes good, the original, the boring one, will always be cheap. And if you have the money to blow and you want a pimped out deck, you can chase down the hyper rare blue one. Oh, there's one more thing. Um, the yellow neon e-treatment is available as a promo at WPN Premium local game stores. Gotcha. But So the, you, you can hunt down these hyper rare, hyper premium versions if you want to.
1: And if you don't care, you can go grab a regular one. So this is, it's related, but doesn't really matter. Somebody got to pick their favorite color because somebody decided which color is going to be the most rare mm-hmm. someone was just like you know what red is the best color so it's going to be the most rare <laughs> how'd it, you like to have that job i was trying to think so like so the order is
0: was it what the order is what green blue and then red that's bait. I think I think that's very video gamey though. Like green, blue, red. Like green is usually uncommon. Blue is usually rare. Red is usually mythic. Like that, that
1: very easily could have been the way they did it. That to me feels
0: very video gamey, but also doesn't mean anything. Like there's very little rhyme or reason to this, as far as
1: I know. Right. So it's. I mean, we're talking about the exact same art with different. Yep, just literally, just different highlights of different it, colors. That's a hundred percent purely subjective. It
0: looks a lot like. I mean, it, it's like if you're playing a video game and you can like change the trim color on your car. Yeah, like it's just change it like the it the exact same. You're just changing the outline coloring of him.
1: That, Interesting. The whole thing, to be perfectly honest, seems very silly to me. It seems very Yu Gi Oh Pokemon esque, yeah. where we're just trying to we're trying to make as, to... as
0: many rare versions of a card as we can. Yeah, and um. This, when I was listening to, I was listening to the MTG Goldfish podcast and I believe it was Krim was talking about how he had at one point used to be a card sorter and he said sorting for Yu-Gi-Oh was the worst thing ever because yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh has 13 different forms of rarity for the same card Yep. because there's just, there's hyper rare and there's hyper gold rare and then there's premium rare and there's super rare yellow and there's super, and like, this is kind of what we're approaching like with this style of printing where we're going to have the same card has
1: 13 different kinds of rarity. Some so. dude is going to love this card. He's going to build an EDH deck around it and have to drop $500 because his favorite color is also red. Yep, <laughs> That's what this boils down to. I would learn to like blue really quickly. Correct. <laughs> or you could do like me, like I do, and I actually prefer the original card frame. Uh-huh. So the further we deviate from that, the less I want it, typically speaking. So like I look at that and I go, well... The only one I'd actually really want, like if I was going to play this card, I would buy the original ver- the just the basic version. he will be a buck. Yep. So good enough.
0: What else do we got for Neon Dynasty? We got two more cards.
1: Yep. So there's two more cards. Uh, there are a couple of, there are some unofficial spoilers, just some leaks out there. Uh, which could be real, could not be yeah, real. I but, don't want to talk about cards that could potentially be fake. I don't really care about the politics of it all, but we don't know that those cards are real yep. and I don't want to waste anybody's time.
0: And this set comes out in two months. I'm right. not really worried about it. We'll get spoilers when we get spoilers. So if
1: those cards eventually, I mean, if they do become confirmed, we'll talk about it. But mm-hmm. until then, I don't want to talk about potentially fake stuff. This is a waste of time. Uh, next, we have at sushi The Blazing Sky. This is a cool card, uh, whether or not it sees a ton of play, I don't know, but this is something Jake and I talk about and I bring up all the time, multiple times this episode, a well-designed card. Yeah, I like it a lot. So he's four mana, two generic, two red, for four four Flying Trample, Legendary Dragon Spirit. Mm-hmm. So one of the things people complain about all the time is ETBs, We're like we're in a world of ETBs where if your card doesn't do anything on when you either cast it or it hits the battlefield then it's just, typically speaking, not good enough. Yeah. Because you need instant value for your cards now.
0: Too much stuff does something as soon as it hits.
1: Correct. The way I look at it is I don't necessarily mind cards having value, but it should be more of a a, we get value in one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So, like, when you play this dragon, he has a death trigger as opposed to an ETB. So it's when he dies, you can choose one, exile the top two cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play those cards. We've already seen similar cards that do that effect and we know that that effect in particular while isn't super broken is a good effect yep the like having
0: temporarily draw two cards temporarily
1: and, draw two cards and it's the end of your next turn yep. it so says, you
0: said this says play you can't hit lands Yep,
1: you can hit lands there's nothing wrong with that effect that if that uh, it's as close as you as close as red is ever going to get to drawing two cards yep in any time anytime soon mm-hmm. and then the other one is create three treasure tokens so Both very strong effects. Yeah, both very strong effects, but they don't happen when you cast them. You don't get to pay four mana and immediately replace himself like Omnath did, where it's just like, I'm going to play this guy, play a land, cool, he's paid for himself, and he drew a card. It's like he never, I didn't have to invest anything into him.
0: So the cool thing about this, Atsushi, the Blazing Guy, it sets the precedent a little bit of, like, when you cast Atsushi, what you get is a a 4-4 Flying Trample, and then when you lose him, you
1: get more things. Yes, like you can I think pseudo replace him if he goes away.
0: Yes, like you get you don't get rewarded for casting him by with more stuff. The reward you get for casting a four four flying trample is you now own a four four flying trample and you can kill your opponent with it. Like I I think that card design would just like I think Magic would be better if more cards follow that design. Where, It'd be far more interesting. Like, and it also
1: creates from an opponent's perspective it creates some issues where it's like well if I want to deal with this they're gonna get something as well rather than well if he you know, just as the first one that popped in my head, prime time, obviously with prime time, you need to kill him one way or the other because it's got that attract attack trigger. Yeah. But like when he comes in, he's already got value. So like, yeah, he's already done his thing. You need to kill him because he's going to keep doing more of his yep. thing. Whereas this, it's like, well, if I don't kill him, then they don't get that. So there's going to be points in the game yeah. where it's better to not kill this. And that's an, a choice your opponent has to make. Where if you're, you know, for whatever reason, you know, say your opponent's bent. And the four four is just not relevant. You don't kill it, so you don't because you don't want to give your opponent more. Exactly, product. and he
0: stacks really well. Where if you draw right. your second one, you can just play it, choose one to keep. Yep, and get your death triggers.
1: Yeah, so it it's a little bit of a um you know a way to get around the drawback of being legendary a little bit. Uh, obviously this is something we should just mention. These are obviously callbacks to the original Kamigawa Dragons. Mm-hmm. I mean, duh. We're in the same plane, there's going to be legendary dragons. Yep. Nobody should be surprised about this. Uh this one currently has three uh versions spoiled. There's the normal version, the normal card, then there's the extended art, and then there is a gorgeous yeah. alternative art.
0: <laughs> they did a really good job on the altar with this card's one.
1: Beautiful. Um has like him like calling
0: around like looking at you, like all like badass yeah, yeah. looking.
1: Uh as Jake and I talked about earlier, um, before the episode. I as far as the aesthetics go, I'm I'm a big fan of the eastern like flying spear, flying serpent, Mm -hmm. dragons rather than the western like big lumbering dragons. They both look cool, and obviously, you know who doesn't love dragons. But it's I just think the Japanese, the eastern style dragons, just look a little cooler. That's just a subjective thing. Yep. So I'm I'm a big fan of these like that cards. Awesome.
0: Just to wrap up, I think a lot. I think a lot of cards would work a lot better, and I think a lot. I think Magic would be a lot in better. Would be in a much better place if. Wizards adhered more to this, or at least went going forward, adhered more to this death trigger instead of ETB trigger. Right. I'd like to see that.
1: It's more interesting. Uh, it means you you're not always going to get it. You either exactly. have a four four, well, or you, you have get three it when you lose them. something.
0: Right. You get something because you lost something, as opposed to just you paid three mana for Uro.
1: Right. Or four mana for Omnath, then you draw a card immediately, then you have multiple other abilities. Uh-huh. And I mean, it's there's nobody who plays Magic that knows that doesn't know Omnath is busted. So mm-hmm. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but yep. like he is the epitome of this kind of design we're talking about Yeah, where he is so much value that he just crapped all over standard exactly. for the week. He was legal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I think it was just... banned
0: before he ever got released, like in paper. Right. So that's pretty funny. It's
1: just ridiculous. That's what they hit their Like how far can we push uh-huh. this concept? And it'd be nice to see it. And they obviously are at least to some degree dialing yep, that back exactly. a little bit. And again, while we do call Wizards out for their crap, I do want to commend them when they do stuff well. Yep. That is a very well-designed card. Super cool. I'd be happy to play that. Um, next up. What about um, Kaito Shizuki? Yep. So we've got a pl- our first Planeswalker of the set, Spoiled. Uh, he's a cyborg ninja-looking dude, if you've ever played the Metal Gear Solid series. Very uh,
0: shadow runny too.
1: Yep. So um, he's a uh, a generic, a blue, and a black for a... Three loyalty, planeswalker, uh, beginning of your instep, if he entered the battlefield this turn, he phases out, so he kind of protects himself a little bit, at least initially, until you can generate some uh,
0: loyalty. So, what this card showed was most people don't know how phasing works, because when they spoiled this, the internet went crazy, saying that you can never attack him. Right. So, phasing does not trigger ETB. When a card phases out and then phases back in, it does not count as entering the battlefield, it just stops existing and then starts existing it's again it's
1: like if you put a shoebox over the card yep. he's just not there yeah. and then, then so
0: when you cast him the first time at your, at your end step he will phase out and then next turn he will come back and he'll have, he'll have he'll have the same loyalty if he phased out with four loyalty he'll phase back in with four yep and then you can do a thing with him but on your end step that turn he will not go anywhere he is now there to stay unless you
1: can find a way to flicker him yeah he's he is going to be difficult to kill Mm-hmm. Because by the time you can attack him, he's going to have five loyalty. Yep. And you're going to have, realistically, you're going to have creatures out to block. Yep. So you're going to. Yeah. Barring it's gonna gonna be hard to kill. We'll him. Go
0: ahead and do this, But what, what's his plus one?
1: Yeah. So his plus ones draw a card, then discard a card unless you've attacked this turn. hmm. Pretty so, likely to,
0: Pretty easy to do if yep, you're building I mean, a deck he's around. Him. Be
1: cr- the obvious thing is he's going to be crammed into every ninja deck uh-huh. just because you got a bunch of people like me who are like, oh my God, ninjas. Yep. And just love shouting ninjas. Well, his too. minus
0: two works really good with ninjutsu. Yep.
1: So his minus two is create a. Uh, 1-1 one, one blue ninja creature token with this creature can't be blocked.
0: Yep. So just dying to be ninjutsued.
1: Yep. Absolutely. And then num- uh, is minus 7 which doesn't... Th- you're probably going to get to 7 fairly often just with... Like if you're running this card mm-hmm. it's going to... You're gonna probably going to get 7 a, pretty like...
0: In a control deck or in a like really grindy like... Like you could get there.
1: Well I mean... And just like you want to run him in a deck with creatures because if you don't then he just loots. Yeah. Exactly. So like... You want to be attacking. A you lot. want to be attacking. And he's, like I said, before your opponent can attack him, he's going to be at five. So you just need to get through a couple more at that mm-hmm. point. So the seven is definitely something that's, it's at least designed to happen a little more often. But minus seven, you get an emblem with whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player search your library for a blue or black creature card and put it onto the battlefield then shuffle
0: yeah that's a pretty powerful effect (laughs) yeah that's very cool tutor and then (laughs) cheat it into play that's i mean realistically
1: that's probably one of the more powerful ultimates we've ever seen yeah Uh, there's there's a few that just read just like if you take out the ones that effectively read kill your opponent i mean yeah but like but like as far as like You know, you you lop off those five or ten, right? Mm -hmm. Where they just you ultimate and you just win the game, like Liliana of the Veil. Sacrifice half your stuff. Yeah, sure. Okay, we lop off the the top five or ten percent of that. No, I. He's very. That's cool. Maybe be better than that. So whenever a creature you
0: control deals damage, you get to just go get.
1: You get to. He the the ceiling is very. Brand's
0: on the board. Yeah, Uh, Inkwell of on the board. Tysspot Tyrants on the board. Archon of Cruelty on the board.
1: The the thing about him, though, is you're going to have to commit to one or the other. So, like, I don't know how often you're running Grizzlebrand in a deck that also is going to hit seven with this. Well, that's true. But uh, but as just, far as what he can do. Like, just pretend for a second they're both but, the same deck. <laughs> well, so in my head, I look at this and I'm looking at it in either modern or legacy. And so, like, tutoring out, uh, you know, <laughs> so tutoring out Yuriko when you don't. Okay, cool. Yep. That's fine. Okay. Chuck it into EDH, Hear where me out. he's going to ultimate all the time, and you're going to get all crazy kinds me of out. stuff.
0: Kaido Shizuki, yep, painter servant, Emrakul the Aeon Torn. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> all we can do is get Kaido to seven, ultimate him. We could then you could then attack with the painter servant, deal damage, and put an Emrakul into play. There's
1: because- this card that also costs three called Show and Tell. That's where I would start if <laughs> I wanted this to play <laughs> <laughs> this is a cool Planeswalker. Yeah, I think he's, he's really neat. He's very cool. He's he's right where I kind of like Planeswalkers, especially like, so he's, he does a very particular thing well, but he's just not a broadly powerful one like Oko or Jace where he's it, just, he's just doing boring stuff. Even though he will come in almost at five. Yeah. Now, obviously he's
0: multiple and well, he's not multiple as soon as he comes in, but like you can hit him with bolts, you can hit him with abrupt decay, yada, yada. But as he, far as like the formats
1: go, you've got unholy heat. Yeah. Like,
0: through, through combat, though, he's going to be hard to remove before he gets to five, unless you're going to unless you immediately like make a one-one blocker. Yeah, which again, it's also important to recognize that this planeswalker does protect himself in a sense. Yes, you could, you could come down, make a blocker. He phases out next turn. Plus him, draw a card. You can
1: attack with that blocker if you need to. Yep. Like, there's potential
0: here. This is a cool. This is a cool three-mag
1: planeswalker. I think. Right. He's he's about he's about as strong as I think planeswalkers should be. At he's three. somebody. Yes. I mean, as far as just relative overall, like. If we're regardless of the cost, so like Karn is a good example of like just because he costs a bunch doesn't mean he sucks. Mm-hmm. But like as far as I don't think there should be a ceiling on planeswalkers that they can't be as overall as powerful as some of them are because there's only so many ways to deal with them. Like unlike creatures, creatures you can make creatures incredibly powerful because like every set has a dozen ways to kill a creature. We, we've been we've been printing removal spells for creatures
0: since, since alpha. alpha. We haven't been print we haven't printed a removal spell. For planeswalkers,
1: since Lorwyn, yeah, is that's been basically that's when, when they started, yeah, and they used to suck back then, and the basically the best one we have now. There's a couple, and there's some stuff like abrupt decay, which would hit them anyways, but you've got like unholy heat, assassin's um, trophy, assassin's maybe. trophy fractures, kind of cool. That's one of the things you and I were talking about the other day, yeah. but like you just you just don't have these broad. Yep, sweeping answers yeah. to him. There's so no there needs push. to be a, there's no like, there's no destroy target planeswalker for cheap. Right. Like there, there needs there is to be creatures. a lower ceiling in my opinion for what planeswalkers can yep. do, and he's he's about as high as I'd want to see that. Yep. Where I'm, I, I don't think he crosses that line, basically because I just think he's too narrow. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's, I, he's a cool card.
0: This is my la- my last thought for you on the episode. I will throw Wizards a lot of credit that they have shown me a lot of good card design in the yes. in, in what they've chose to spoil.
1: Yep. So. Just, points so far we haven't seen anything uh we don't want to beat a dead horse but something like ragavan where it's yep. one mana has eight lines of text and is just boring Yep, good card design all around yep uh since we've mentioned it with the others real quickly we've got currently three spoiled versions the face on the normal one looks a little weird in my opinion but the other two are more like anime style things mm-hmm. one of them is very stylized i, I would I say one of them looks kind of like
0: old teen titans yeah like og teen titans it kind of looks like that art style and then the other one looks a little more like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles style.
1: The the third one we're looking at, the, the really heavily stylized one, it looks like it's out of a manga. Like one an older manga.
0: Yeah, colored. A colored yes. manga, but yeah. So. Interesting. Yeah. Very cool. cool. All right, Matt, as we come to the end of our episode, which is, of course, longer than we meant it to be. Is there anything we've forgotten before I begin our wrap up?
1: No, I think we're good. I think that's about everything we wanted to cover today.
0: All righty. Well, as always, I like like to shout out the Plane Soccer Podcast. We are proud members of the Plane Soccer Podcasting Network. Will and Aramis throw their show up. Uh, they do a live cast on Mondays at twitch.tv forward slash plane sockers podcast around seven PM Eastern Standard Time. They do a great job of giving you all the information you need about anything standard or commander related, and you can even play commander with them on Wednesdays around 7 or 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at that same Twitch location. Just hit up the Discord, discord discord.planesockerspodcast.com. And while you're there, make sure and check out our Cantrip Cartel channel. If you want to reach out to us, send us an email at cantripcartel at gmail.com. You can check out our Facebook group at Cantrip Cartel, and you can even follow us on Twitter at Cantrip Cartel. Matt, is there anything I'm forgetting?
1: Uh, No, I think you got it all. All right, well, then we will see you guys next week. Have a nice night, guys.
0: Oh, uh, at the end of your turn, I'm going to go ahead and cast Faithful Mending and discard an Archon of Cruelty in a land, and then I'll go untap and persist.
1: That's way better than my frog mic.